Hey guys, it's Brian Donahue, your One-Legged GM. I'm coming in today uh, because the next couple weeks are actually going to be something a little bit different. You see, this year I was a literary guest at Grand Rapids Comic Con 2021, and in doing so, I did two panels. The first of which was world-building for authors and GMs, and the second was self-publishing for fun and maybe profit. In both cases, I was able to get permission from the audience and from the venue to film and release this to you, my viewers. So this episode is the first such panel, World Building for Authors and GMs. Enjoy. Um, I'm an author, game designer, motivational speaker, uh, amputee mentor, a whole bunch of other titles, uh, husband and father to six or seven, depending on the day. So I also occasionally sleep. <laughs> occasionally. Uh, today's going to be really informal because there's like a few of you here. So if you have a question at, all, at any point, ask it. I'm cool with that. Um, as we go through this, I am a published author and game designer and longtime GM. So that's where we're going to cover world building for authors and game masters today. Um, I'm coming from my perspective. Everybody has their own shtick. Everybody has their own way of doing it. If I'm hoping I can help you out, if that's your, if that's what you, if that's your goal, if that's what you want to do. But understand that all of us have our own method of madness, and being a world world builder is very mad. Um, <laughs> find my notes. I actually did prepare today, which is. As Jesse will tell you, as one of my gamers, this is far more notes than I normally have for my entire game sessions. So, um, yeah. As I said, uh, I'm an author, game designer. Um, for the folks who are here, how many of you are uh, prospective or current authors? Awesome. Uh, GM, interested in world building for GMs. All right, cool. Um, so, uh, author, have you published yet? We're still working on it. All right, cool. Um, long time GMs, short, uh, been doing it for a while, not just started. Okay, cool. Um, have either of you done any game design, so module design or anything like that? Okay. All right. What, uh, you know what? Set that aside. Um, what, what games are you usually GMing for? Okay. Fifth edition, I've done Star Wars and Original, like uh, uh, like the original Star Wars, or the the new with all the crazy dice. Oh no! Oh no! Uh, West End Games. Cool. All right. <laughs> and, and a little bit of the what's uh, uh, the coast? Okay. Pretend. Okay. Yeah, the the D twenty add on. So yep. Okay. Hi, right, come on in. I just started. Um, in fact, I literally just started. Uh, Brian Donahue, uh, author, game designer. Uh, motivational speaker, amputee mentor, husband, father of six or seven kids, depending on the day. Um, 
are you guys that just came in? Perspective authors, game masters, where's game masters? Okay. What do you normally run? All right. So, um, well, let's kind of talk about how I uh, how I started. Um, so I started working on game on game design for this game, for the precursor to this game, uh, well over twenty years ago. Uh, I got suckered into it with a friend of mine, as that usually happens. Um, and we that game never came to fruition, but the current game that I actually published and is for sale um, came out of that. So actually a lot of core mechanics came out of that. Uh, I have some interesting business stories that we can talk about if you want to. Um, there's not very many of us. It's very informal. If you have questions at all, just ask. Okay. So, so I started with, uh, well, playing. Uh, I, I played... I played original Redbox D&D. So <laughs> I remember having to color, color in the stupid numbers on the clear D20 so you could actually see what you were rolling, right? Um, I still have a few of those models, or a few of the, I have the spiral bound stuff that you put in the three ring binders. It's awesome. Um, and very immature game system. <laughs> Again, none of us would be here without that today. So um, so during that, while I was working on the, on the GMing side, I'm also, I used to write stories when I was in high school. Never published anything, never even said anything published. I just kind of wrote them for my own, uh, for my own uh, self. And then I wrote a, I wrote and published a nonfiction book uh, called uh, what they don't tell you about church safety. Um, I actually happen to lead the safety team at my church. So uh, I wrote nonfiction. Took a while to write that. Took a long while to write that. Uh, sent it around to a couple different publishers. They decided, none of them decided to pick it up. So I muddled through the early stages of self-publishing through Amazon. So I figured out how to do it. Um, now, I do have a couple benefits. I have a background in graphic design and marketing, so I didn't have to pay anybody to do layout or cover design because I could do that myself. But, um, so I wrote that book, and then that was 10 years ago, I think, something like that. I have to look and see. But in the middle of... Uh, the game design, working on the game. Uh, as I said, we kind of broke the three of us who were, the, who were originally partners and, and way back when for the game, and broke up, uh, went our own separate ways. I started working on the game. I started, picked up the game again, started running a homebrew campaign with homebrew rules. It literally is still in a file on my, a folder on my computer called Homebrew. Okay, so all the stuff that I published in that game system is still in a file called Homebrew. That's because it's sentimental to me. Um, so in the middle of that, we were running beta testing the new rules for the game, and I was running a, a campaign. I, I wanted to run a modern-day urban fantasy uh, vampire hunt 
So I started, uh, started running that. The players seemed to really enjoy it, and the story got really fun. So I started writing it as a, as a story. Towards the end, I finished the manuscript, well, the first draft anyways, and showed it to the, the players. They enjoyed it. So I thought, well, you know, I've done the self-publishing thing with my other book. I'll self-publish this. And so I did. Um, published that book. People seemed to like it. People bought it. So I wrote a follow-up story to it, which was nothing like I had originally planned. Um, side note, when I'm, writing book, when I'm writing my books, my characters do stuff that I don't ever want them to do. Um, it's kind of like my gamers, you know. Um, <laughs> legitimately. So my, my books go very weird directions. Uh, but I wrote that second book for the follow-up. So the first book, actually, this is the first book. Uh, it's called Incursion Nightmare. That's the vampire uh, book. Um, wrote the second book. Came here in 20... So that came out in 2015. 2016, I published uh, Fable, which is the second book. Uh, and it came here to my first show. I was in Artist Alley. Um, sold some copies. People seemed to like it. And so I wrote the third book. Well, I kind of had to write the third book because book two ends on a heart cliffhanger. So the people who read book two and had to wait for the year really didn't like that. <laughs> they liked the end, but yeah, I got a lot of a lot of very angry messages after they read the cliffhanger. Um, so after we published the third book in the trilogy, we really were working hard and finally came out with the game. It's called Hidden Walls Incursion. That's the entire game manual, by the way. Um, this game is what came out. It is a... Uh, we published it, launched it in 2019. We were here, it was 2019, and then, of course, last year. But, um, so I've done the world building. The game, the books, they all take place in the same world. So I've done that world building a lot. Um, and I've written, as a, as a long-time GM, I've also done other campaigns, so I've, I've done that. So that's my background and why they think I should talk about this stuff. <laughs> so... Um, Let's see here. Covered it. So, what is my process? Um, before we talk about my process, I'm going to uh, just a couple different points. First, as I said before, everybody has a very different process, and that's great because we all approach it from a different angle. Um, find the one that works for you. Second, my second comment is I'm going to tell you what I do for mine. I don't often recommend following what I do because it's very chaotic and I have to write a lot of, I have to correct things a lot because I will back myself into a corner. <laughs> you know, um, and that's terrible to be in that position. Well, 
as a GM, in world building, if you back yourself into a corner, you can do a couple things. You can usually, you can retcon. If your players are good about it, you can go, all right, no, you know what? That was a screw up. Never mind that. Let's do this different. Or you can kind of be creative and work around that. As an author, if you write, if you back yourself into a corner in a book that you publish, you're screwed. <laughs> you have to get really creative to get around that. Um, so there are ways that, uh, and we'll talk about some of those things. But um, uh, as I, you know, as I talked about, I did my first book. My first world building was actually written during a gaming campaign, so I did have some bonuses there. Now. Where my process take a, took a real, real weird turn was my game campaign was a very small area for the world building, and I kind of locked it in with a lot of, a lot of things. Book one was a vampire hunt. Book two, I dealt with the Fae here in Grand Rapids. It's not where book one takes place, so I didn't introduce the Fae in book one. So I had to really do some interesting world building. And book three just was uh, telling, finishing the story. Um, so uh, when I'm doing a campaign or when I'm even writing a book, my biggest problem is I'm a very see-the-pants kind of GM and storyteller. So I write and tell it what, uh, as I think of it. And sometimes later regret that. <laughs> uh, for instance, um, one of the characters in the trilogy, I described a very certain way and was originally going to be a mi very minor character, kind of not show up very much at all. They turned out to be a major character in book three, and I had to reconcile that because I... It's a very different character than what I wrote originally in book one. So, uh, as an author, if you screw that up, your fans will yell at you. Um, it's just the way it is. So, it's you do have to kind of work with that. Um, so, basically, a lot of what I do, I work backwards, retconning a lot of things or, or figuring things out. I don't recommend that. Because it puts a whole, a whole lot more work for you. Um, so, as I said, you know, describing that one character in, in book one, I actually did get to the point where, as a, as my beta readers were reading book three, they yelled at me. <laughs> you screwed this up, Brian. Yeah, I did. Let's figure out how to solve that. Um, that's that's not comfortable as an author. I will tell you that. Um, so, how do I actually recommend you start world building? Uh, and this all this all applies to both authors and GMs. Uh, I really recommend a couple things. Consistency is the key, as we already talked about. Um, and you guys know this, if you're long-time GMs uh, and as a budding GM, consistency is a key. If you say something is 
if you if you describe or say something is true, you need to have a very good reason for it not to be true. <laughs> um, now, if you have that reason, absolutely, uh, that's it's a great way to go. Consistency is the key until it until there is reason for it not to be the key. Okay. Um, so how do I recommend you start? Well, start with a big picture. And by big picture, I mean start with uh, what I call the 10,000 foot view. For an author, what's your genre? Start there. Okay. A world building for a fantasy world versus an urban fantasy versus science fiction. A, a close technical science fiction or a epic science fantasy. All of those are very different processes for uh, for an author and also for building a campaign as a GM. Um, so start with your genre. Figure out how big your world needs to be. For my first book, I really wasn't planning on a whole lot of afterwards, so my my world was small. It was literally a town in Colorado that I've never been to. Um, <laughs> okay, true story. I literally, in, in the middle of this campaign, um, at the start of this campaign, I said, all right, you know, you guys need to go here. It's a bunch of brand new government monster hunters. They're on their first easy mission. And I was like, all right, I got to find a place to send you Google Maps. You pick a spot. Yep, it's this town in Colorado. It's really just completely, you know, just made up on the spot. Well, then I actually had to research that town. So <laughs> Google Maps is your friend for that. I'm just saying. Um, so figure out how big your world needs to be. Does it need to be, if you're doing a sci an epic sci-fi how big is your universe? <clears throat> With the understanding that how big that universe is also will relate to how does travel happen? You know, um, what, what does all that look like? For for fantasy, as, for, as a GM, where are you putting your campaign? Um, and again, how big is that area? Because then you have to deal with travel. You have to, you may have to deal with, you know, travel by sea, by boat, or you know, is it is it the epic journey of Lord of the Rings, or is it you know all staying in one little town and the and the surrounding area? So figure out the scope because that also lets you know lets you figure out your details. Uh, and then always ask questions. Uh, you know, the big six questions: who, what, where, when, why how. Always ask those. Uh, if you come up with something for the book, or for the campaign, or for the world, ask the questions. How does that happen? How does that affect this? How does that affect that? Um, and I start, you know, kind of down a list, some, some questions I wrote down. For who, who are your main characters? Who are the major antagonists? Who are the power players in your world? And how do they all interact? 
that's a great way to start with coming up with a compelling story. Um, and world building is leading to a compelling story, whether you're a GM or an author or whatever, right? Um, what What's the structure of the land? Is it, does it all take place in the little mountain? Is it, you know, a continent? Is it a planet? Is it a solar system? Um, what's the structure of countries or political subdivisions? Are there countries? Are there towns? Are there villages? If it's fantasy, is it a feudal system or is it something brand new? Um, and uh, look at governments. And then one of the other things is, uh, and this, is, this applies to both as well, what about religions and pantheons? You know, religion affects, I mean, look at modern day, religion affects what people do, where they're at. In a fantasy game, your pantheon, especially if you're in a game that uses classes, like a cleric class, kind of is reliant on their pantheon, right? On their, on their god, goddess, whatever. Um, so think about those things and make it so that it becomes more alive. This is, that's the goal of world building, is to make it a living world. Um, uh, where, again, where's the, where does the majority of the story take place? And think about what's significant about those. You know, is it generic town here, or is there some reason for that? Um, GMs, by the way, really hint here, for those of you who haven't done it before or haven't figured it out, if you plan a where and your party goes elsewhere because they're going to, because they're party members... That where is now here. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's the easiest way to do it. Um, as, a, as an author, it's a bit more difficult. But then again, as an author, you control... Most of the time, you control the characters. I don't, but that's a whole other issue. Um, when does your story take place? Again, fantasy-wise, you know, is it medieval Earth-type history? Is it a fantasy history? Is it far future? Is it modern-day or near-modern, near-future? All of those affect your world-building styles. Um, and then, why? Why is your character, why is your group, why is your party interacting with that setting, with that world? Why did they meet at the bar? To, why did they meet at the end to, to go adventure? Um, how, how do things work? This is one where I think some, some world building often falls apart is the how do, how do things work? How do physics work? Do, do basic physics work? Is there magic? How does magic work? Um, and as far as how does magic work, Try to make that consistent. I mean, if it's if it's cool now, if you're using a, a game mechanic campaign, then your magic, well, if it's written right, is going to be consistent. But for stories, if you're telling a story, how does how does you know how does your magic work? How do how do physics work? Make them consistent until it's important to not be consistent. But make that intentional. Okay. Um, 
And I guess my, my, my caveat to all that is, if you have a really cool idea, figure out a way to get it in there, but make it make sense. And you can often do that by asking those questions, by asking the how, the, you know, the who, the why, the what, the hows. Cool ideas are great, just make sure that makes sense in your, in your world building. <clears throat> but think through the think through the ramifications of that. So if your cool idea is, well, what if what if this was the only you know pantheon? What if we what if we listen to this this religion is the only one that actually is real? Well, how does that affect everything else? Or um, you know, this is if we have a think about the difference between a a feudal system, a parliamentary system, and a democracy. If you think about the differences between those, those affect everything in that society. So <clears throat> what happens if you make mistakes or contradictions? Because you will. Um, <laughs> we all do. Uh, and how do you avoid them? Well, if you make the mistakes... Uh, as, as I kind of talked about earlier, as I kind of touched on earlier, legitimately, as a GM, either retcon it with your players' knowledge, you know, say, you know what, I screwed up. It's okay as a GM to look at your players and go, you know what, I screwed this one up. I meant it to be this. Let's walk, the, let's walk that back. Um, or figure out a way to make it work creatively. As an author, once you publish, for future stuff, you got to figure out how to make that work. <laughs> it's just that's your that's your only uh, option. Um, so, how do you avoid a lot of the mistakes? Uh, as a GM, try to take some notes. And I realize that's very hypocritical coming from me, <laughs> but try to build your try to at least take notes. You don't necessarily have to plan the notes in. The, in in advance, like when I start a campaign, I may have a sentence or two of the overall campaign thought. I actually don't know anything that's going on until the first session or two after, because I, I open sandbox the first session or two, and then I figure out what's going on in the world in the campaign. When I'm taking notes, as so if I if I say, "Hey, this NPC is here," I'm writing down NPC name, location. So I can be somewhat consistent for my players. And to be fair, I also, most of my games, I have a couple of players who are the note takers. I love it because they're all good. A lot of them are very good with me. The, and I'll go, all right, what I call this guy? Uh, and they'll come up with a name because um, that's worth it. Uh, as an author, um, get good beta readers. <laughs> I have uh, I have a I have a team of beta readers. One of them actually is I call a continuity editor, um, David, uh, who's actually here today at my booth. Uh, but he is the one who, if I say somebody has brown hair here, if I then say they have black hair, you know, twelve chapters later, he sees the details and catches that, and has saved my butt way more times than I can count. So. Beta readers are very good for as an author. Um, 
Either way, take copious notes as you're doing it. Again, whether you want to pre-plan your campaign or wing it, take copious notes as you go. Um, and I do that a lot as an author and actually as a GM. I take notes in software on the computer. Um, I have the writing program I use has um, what it calls a resource folder. I can save web pages there. I can save character uh, descriptions there. So I can actually always go look and see in that. Take advantage of software. We live in a technology world. Take advantage of it. Um, that's one of the best things I can, I can tell you to do. Um, and I can talk about the software I use and some other software as well. But I'm going to think here, and I probably have to talk to the way. I've actually talked to a fair amount. So, questions. <laughs> How should we go about addressing symbolism and besides just having symbolism in the first place in the story of the world? Um, what we're trying to tell that is. So, symbolism can be. Symbolism done right is very, very good. Done wrong, it becomes tacky, unfortunately. Um, as far as putting symbolism in, really think about how you want it to come across. Don't jump to the obvious. Don't be, uh, to, use the, to use the phrase, ham-fisted with it. Don't, don't beat someone over the I, I, well, let me step back. If that's your style, it's your style. But unless, legitimately, unless you're writing a political book or something that is designed to sway somebody, don't beat somebody over the head with a, with a, with like a club. Be, be subtle. Uh, and that's okay, by the way. If some people don't catch it up overtly, it still seeps in if they read it. Uh, and, and it, either as an author or a campaign, or as a GM. Um, so use symbolism sparingly and well, not ham-fisted and, you know, don't beat them to death with a club. <laughs> well, one more, one more question, yeah. sorry. Yeah. When it comes to symbolism, should we be critical of how it plays into the story of the, of the kind of message we're trying to tell, or, like, not Always. critical? Okay. Yeah, so... No, in terms of critical, we're, we're, we're critiquing it. If, for example, we have a story about religious beliefs, should we be critiquing those religious beliefs other than just having overt symbolism about that religion? That's up to you. And that depends on what you're writing, what you're developing. If you want to get a point across, if you want to critique the, the symbolism, yes, you can do that. I mean, again, this is your creation. Uh, I don't want to gatekeep or, or turn down anybody. You know, understand though that over critique, over criticism is a very specific path. Sometimes some of the more successful uh, works have been satire, um, especially in the past, where you read the books and you kind of go, "Okay, that makes a whole lot of sense." Uh, my mind just blanked. Gulliver's uh, Travels is one that's over satire. It's political satire of the time, and it's a fun story. 
you know. Um, trying to think of some others off the top of my head, but they're out there. I just am not brain dead. Way too little sleep and too early a day here. So, <laughs> uh, but did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. Okay, great. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. How would you go about implementing um, like a new gameplay system in an already existing system like Five A? Um, a couple ways to do that. So, game design theory. Uh, If you want to change, if you want to homebrew something, that's great. Do it. Uh, actually, and there's record in uh, a book about Gary Gygax when he first created D&D. He basically said, hey, look, if you're DMing this, make it your own. You know, here's some rules that we have. Make it your own. That was his goal. Uh, so uh, if you have, if you want to add mechanics... From game theory, game design theory, work on making sure that they're balanced and that they have a purpose so that they're not just, I don't want to say just cool for cool's sake, because frankly, cool for cool's sake is fun in gaming. Let's face it, you know, the rule of cool. But if you want to do mechanics, if you're doing new mechanics, think about what you want them to accomplish. And then think about how you can get that to work within the setting, within the game, so that it feels natural. Uh, so, yeah, I, I encourage it. If you have ideas for that, great. Um, and, yeah, I, as a game designer, if you, if you want to talk about game design stuff, I'm cool with that, too. we got about a half an hour. So I'm with you guys for a half an hour if you want. So uh, did that help answer your question? Okay. And if you want... More specifics, we can talk about that as well. But, um, you know, that's my thought is be deliberate and methodical about your mechanic design because that way they'll be more successful. So, other questions? I have one, but I want to, yeah. people, I want to let other people go. So. Okay. I mean, go ahead. Okay. Um, where are some other online resources we can check, we can use to help us build, we could use that addresses game design theory? Because uh, I mentioned that, and I thought, and just a general resource link or a website we could read up on or something like that. So game design theory, I'm trying to think about what I've used. I've not done a lot of, I've not used a lot of resources for game design theory. A lot of it's been... For game theory or something like that. Yeah, so a lot of that is, for me, has been just years of playing and figure out what I wanted to play. So the reason I created my game is literally I we have this entire catalog of games in front of us. We, we live in a great time for games, right? There was stuff I liked about some of them. There was stuff I didn't like about some of them. So we wanted to create, we worked hard to create a game that we wanted to play. Um, so that's <clears throat> uh I'm sure, remember next time I need to break water. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that there are sources, uh, and probably you can search on, on the internet for game design theory or game theory, and there, there will be books uh, by designers, I'm sure. Uh, 
uh, available on that. Um, as far as software for, uh, actually, that's circle back a little bit. Software for key for world building. Okay. That is, there's a couple pieces of software. I use uh, Scrivener for writing. I love it. It tracks, it's it's very, um, you can almost corkboard what you're writing, but you can also do, so you can write in whatever order that you want to write, but you also have the, um, also has the resource folder, so I can actually live link websites, I can live link uh, like I said, uh, all kinds of uh, character profiles and location profiles and that sort of thing. Um, World Anvil is another one that is a great resource. It, it basically it's a it's a pretty wiki. Okay, so if we're all if we're familiar with with Wikipedia, the wiki, that's what you kind of want to build. So you want to be able to cross link stuff and, and build stuff. World Anvil is a great one for world building. Um, because uh, it keeps track of things. Uh, uh, Wikia, W-I-K-I-A dot com, I think, is another one. And I've talked to, to folks who use uh, Evernote, OneNote, uh, you know, something that is, uh, and we have, actually for the, some of the campaigns, uh, my note takers have built Google Docs that we just kind of, that they share with the group. So that's one thing for for campaign. That's not a bad thing to do because then you can access it from any uh, device, uh, and you can change it on the fly when you screw something up, which is always a good thing. Um, so uh, I know I didn't answer your question directly, but well, I, I know I know the World Anvil. So yeah, and, and I do recommend taking a look at World Anvil. No, I'm not sponsored by them, but they seem to be a great. Seem to have a great product. Mm -hmm. uh, campaign cartographer is another one, especially if you're looking for maps and things. Um, they do. They have some fractal mapping programs that actually can generate both uh, anything from town size up to uh, continent land size. It's awesome. So um, those are a couple of resources that I use a lot. Um, any other questions? Yeah. What's a great way to set like tone for a So you figure out what tone you want to set. Uh, is it going to be dark? Is it going to be humorous? Is it going to be silly? Is it going to be you know? Uh, that is all in, and, and all of that actually does apply to your world building because if it's going to be humorous. Well, don't plan on, you know, first of all, you're going to add some funny names in there. You're going to have some of that funny stuff. Um, and let's face it, your players are going to be goofballs anyways, because that's what players do. Um, to set the tone, I usually do a what I call a session zero. A lot of people call it a session zero. So a session zero is the, the initial setting before you even get into anything, where you talk as a group with your group, what do we want the tone of the campaign to be? Is this a dark Call of Cthulhu where, you know, uh, we're, we're worried about everybody's sanity, or is this a lighthearted game? Is this a classic dungeon crawl? You set the tone. You set. You sometimes set the basic setting there, but you also talk about what characters are going to be like because when you set the tone, that affects the characters, and the characters also affect the tone. So 
the best way to set that is get together for a session zero with your group and say, here's what I'm thinking about running. What do you guys think? Guys and gals, whatever. Um, does that make sense? Did that partially answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of those where you have to decide. You have to decide that as a group because if you want to run a dark Call of Cthulhu campaign and they want to run a Benny Hill campaign, it will suck <laughs> for one of you, either for the players or for the GM. So get some agreement into what you're going to go into um, first in that session zero. And then you can plan on you know, creating the characters and say the, the, the world and the campaign and that sort of thing. So that's, that would be my advice. And I do that now. All of my campaigns, I run a session zero where we talk about the setting, kind of sometimes the overall story arc, but also we talk about what characters are going to be involved and, and kind of set the tone that way. Um, you look like you've got a question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have um, you remembered any of them? All right. Uh, and if you do, just shout it. Any other questions? Yeah. Why your block? Do you have any tricks for like trying things that you start and then you blend where you blend for a little bit of time and you're like, oh. It sucks. For me, my writer for, for me for writer's block. If I'm uh, if I'm writing story a novel with uh, if I'm writing fiction, I have to walk away from it for a little bit um, to get past whatever that block is. For me, that means gaming because that's one of those where I will I, my creative juices flow when I'm GMing a game, and so when I start GMing, I start thinking about problems and thinking about solving things and then usually I can go back and start running again. The other thing is is consistency. So getting some words on paper. Uh, the last option for me and what once I kind of gone through the steps, I reread what I've written so far. Not to edit, but to get the flow. Once I get the flow, then once I understand, because at that point something is going to trigger in my memory, go, oh, that's where I was going with this, and I can I can continue on. So does that help you? Okay. Any other? Yes. Creative freedom. Um, you're thinking how much should go to GM or players? Do you think the other way, or when you do more based on the group? So. Um, what do you mean, creative freedom? Like, we're going to start a campaign. You guys create the backstories. Like, just kind of read the story and then come back here. Like, where is the creation? Um, oh, good question. Um, for me personally, on a campaign, a lot of it is, for me is. Um, uh, I am a yes and GM. So I will roll with the punches. I'm, I'm as I said, very much on the fly. Um, if, my, if my players say something, do something really weird, I expect it. So I roll with it. 
And it's either yes and, yes but, or no but. You know, those are kind of the three options that you've got. And, and for those of you who don't understand that, yes and is, okay, yes, that's true, and here's the result of that, or and this happens. Uh, yes, but, yeah, okay, yes, you certainly have that, but here's a limitation on that. Uh, or no, but, no, you think that's true, but it's not really true, but here's something else to redirect. So um, that creative freedom, I do not like, uh, for me personally, I don't like confrontational or, or um, ah, there's a term for it. And as a GM, I don't, I don't play a GM against the players. We are telling a story together. So I want to make sure that everybody has that freedom to do what they can within the parameters that we all agreed to. So we, I usually have very broad parameters set up. And then from there, as long as it's within those parameters or as long as it's not going to shift something okay. too far or skew something okay. out of balance, then yeah, I'm, I'm all for creative freedom. And my players also really, uh, I most of my, well, the players who game with me for a long time Trust me not to screw them over. They do that to themselves. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Consequences happen, but I'm not there to be the bad guy. I just play one on TV. No, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I'm not be. I'm not there to to be a bad GM. I'm there to help to, to collaboratively tell a story in a fun way. Right, so that everybody has fun. Um, so as long as whatever they're doing, whatever they want, whatever they say, doesn't screw things up, it doesn't overbalance or draw spotlight away from somebody else. Because that's another thing. As a GM, that's one thing I really work hard on is spotlighting everybody at some point. Not necessarily everybody at every session. But if I have a session where I am spotlighting, where, where one or two characters have the majority of the spotlight, the next session it won't be on them. It'll be about somebody else, about some other character. So it's, it's balanced that way. Um, because then everybody has fun. You know, that, and that's, for, for GMing, that's the goal. At least for me, and that should be the goal, I think, is just have fun. You know, life's too short not to, legitimately. Does that help? Okay, cool. Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Go ahead. Um, so if your players decide to go or to not do something, uh -huh. how do you coaxing to create me to do that Um so consequences happened. Uh, so in my campaigns, when I'm running things, my world is going on in spite of and around the characters. So I have a general idea of, call it newspaper headlines, of stuff that's going on around them in the world. So if I say, you know, if, if the goal is to get them to go to town, to this town, and they decide to be players and go somewhere else, well, there's two ways to do that. First of all, as I said, Swap the towns. If they've never been to that town, 
If you have all the details for town A, and they decide to head for town B, okay, all those details transfer. <laughs> it's way easier to do that, and they will never know. They'll, they'll be astonished at your plan for town B. Um, now, when they decide to go back to town A, then you've got to come up with some new stuff. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, the other way to do it, uh, I don't like railroading players. But then again, you know, if they have to go save the princess or whatever, and they decide not to, okay. After a while, the princess is killed, and the king blames them. And now there's consequences. Now there's interesting consequences, because you're not railroading them. But consequences for decisions happen. Um, you know that's that's another thing. Uh, my players learn very early that natural consequences happen. So, like I said, I have a modern modern urban fantasy setting most of the time. Well, even if the police are zero level NPC, they all have radios and helicopters. <laughs> By the way, they don't attack the cops for more than once because then bad stuff happens. So again, there are ways to creatively have a fairly large sandbox but keep them going in a general direction. Um, did that help? Yeah. Okay. And that's just that's going to. And, and I understand you're, you're kind of starting your GM process. That's one of the things that you'll that you'll learn is to kind of plan a little bit. But that's also why. I don't have a whole lot of notes because I never know what my players are going to do. So I will have notes at the end of the campaign. I generally don't at the beginning. Um, any other questions? For like Jamie, uh -huh. how long do you take to like find out? <laughs> uh, five minutes before? No. Uh, <laughs> depends on where we're going. Uh, actually, Depends on a couple things. How far along in the campaign we are. Because if we're about if we're into the campaign a fair ways, I kind of know an endpoint that I'm going towards. So I can kind of be planning in general terms that direction. Also depends on what we're doing in session. If we're um, if it's just a, if they're searching for clues at a random account and they decide to go to a club or something, I don't do nothing. Uh, that's all made up on the fly. If they're going to go explore some ancient ruins or search out something, then yeah, I've got to generate a map at least, and I'll fill in some details. Usually, come up with a really weird name. But other than that, I make up stuff on the fly. And then, as I'm, as we're doing the thing, I'm writing down notes about what I put in that room because I'll forget. <laughs> um, does that does that help? So that is that is a comfort level for every GM has to be different. And I know GMs that, that meticulously plan out like entire campaigns and worlds. And that's great if you can do that. I can't. Um, I don't have the patience. <laughs> can I give some so, input? Uh, can I give some input? Yeah, go ahead. So I'm still kind of a new GM myself, but I'm running some of the demo games for Brian. If you need practice improvising... There are some really great one-shot modules online. Um, Grant Howitt has put out some good stuff. There's one called The Witch is Dead, 
where you literally roll for everything, and I made myself improv that entire session. It was really good practice because you weren't locked into anything. So what happens if we go over here? You know what? This is what happens. You have no restrictions because I overplan, and then you get yourself locked into rooms that you can't get out of. And so if you kind of give yourself some practice with improv, then it really, it kind of opens up your thought process a little bit. So for me personally, as like a newer and less experienced, that's been really helpful. <laughs> also, we co-wrote a module. I'm a lot more comfortable running that module than I am other pre-written yeah. stuff because I made it up. Yeah. Uh, and as far as a, as for a new GM, don't be afraid to try stuff Try new stuff because your players appreciate it. You're also your players also appreciate not having the GM. So, if you volunteer to be a GM, uh, your players will like you for that because they don't have to. So, don't be afraid to improv. Try something new, and if it fails, who cares? You still have fun, right? As long as you have fun, that's that's legitimately the end goal of gaming is to. Have fun in that session and connect with people. And if, it, if you do that, who cares what happened? <laughs> Legitimately, who cares, right? Um, does that help? Uh, you know, uh, as far as the new GMA goes, does that help you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Any other questions? How are we doing on time? We're about eight minutes. I think it's about time to, to, to wrap it uh, I am back in Celebrity Row. Uh, come check me out. Uh, I do have, as I said, this is my this is the first book in the trilogy. I have the entire entire trilogy here. Um, it's the Night's Bane trilogy. Is the trilogy? This is the role playing game. We are running demos uh, all weekend long. Uh, this is the entire game manual. By the way, it's twenty five dollars. Player guide, GM guide, monster manual. It's all right here. Um, and if you come to the booth, I, I'm not going to take too much time to, to plug my merch. Okay, uh, let's face it. I'm going to plug my merch, all right? It's a fun game. It's designed to be easy to, easy to play, fun to play. A um, couple very quick highlights. Single D20, no classes, no levels. Skill-based use, story-based advancement. Um, combat is quick and deadly for players. Quick for characters. I run a table of six to seven players. I run a big table. All right? I can do a boss-level combat in an hour and a half. <laughs> That's a day and a half for, well, 5e. Um, <laughs> tell me I'm wrong, right? I've played, I've been in those combats. Um, completely open magic system. Um, lots of other fun stuff. Unique combat system which actually makes one of the ways it speeds up is combat is interesting. Uh, it's all, everybody's doing their actions kind of intermingled instead of the, okay, you can do all your actions and you do all your actions. And while you're doing your actions, I'm going to go get lunch. We've all been in that combat, right? Mm -hmm. you, you don't get that in this game. So that's why we created it. And we created it specifically. Like I said, I created the game. We created the game. I say I, my name's on it. I acknowledge I have a great group of um, friends and players who helped me develop it, okay? Um, we developed it, a game that we wanted to play. So uh, come find me. I'm in 
C19, yeah. I think it is, but it's, yeah. it's on the back wall, um, right in between the, the guest authors, the daily guest authors, and Derek Padula, Paducah, mm-hmm. the guy who writes the Dragon Ball Z uh, fiction. So I'm right there. You'll see my, I got a bunch of merch. Um, you'll see me. So come chat if you want to chat. And if you have questions elsewise, uh, come see us. You know. um, is that, uh, any other qu- final questions? Well, guys, thank you so much for, for listening to me ramble for a while. Uh, I do have another, but another panel Sunday, I think. Uh, it's actually, um, I think, being an author for fun and sometimes profit. Uh, publishing. Yeah, so uh, if you want to come back and, and we'll talk more about actual the kind of more interesting side of the business side of things, um, we'll be doing that. Other than that, if you have if you have more questions, follow me down the booth. Come see me. Come see me. I'll be here all week, all weekend, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. This has been a production of Section Twenty Eight Publishing and the One Legged GM. Copyright 2021, permission granted for use in any non-commercial endeavor with all other rights reserved.